Welcome to Designing for Students, the podcast that explores the intersection of design and higher education. I'm Rich Prowse, I'm the Director of Design at Content Design London and a higher education consultant. And in a previous life, I was the Deputy Director of Service Design at the University of Bath. And I'm Rich West, a freelance user experience consultant specialising in content. Over 20 years, I've worked in a number of higher education institutions, as well as government and the private sector. Designing for Students is a limited podcast series where you'll get to hear from voices around the world. From perspectives on leadership to hands-on skills, our goal is to inspire you to create experiences that help students succeed. So get ready to deep dive into the world of designing for students. We're brand new, so subscribe now to make sure you don't miss out on any new episodes. I can't believe it is our third episode. (laughs) I know, I know. (laughs) I'm excited to announce our special guest today, Michael Fern. Michael is founder of Pivotal Play, Lego Serious Play expert and author of the LSP Method. And he's joining us today from Australia. I learned about LSP back in about 2022 when I first read Michael's book. And since then, I've had the opportunity to complete his course and become a Lego Serious Play facilitator. It's also a technique I use in my own practice, and I love Lego Serious Play. So it's great to have Michael here today to talk to us about LSP. Before we get stuck into that, it'd be really great to learn a little bit more about you and what you do. I'm Australian. You can probably tell from my accent. I've been a facilitator here in Australia for almost 20 years now. I started off at a big four accounting firm, although here in Australia at the moment, it's probably not good to say that, that they're not, uh, they're not in favor. I learned my craft as a facilitator, basically get groups together to solve problems. And when I first started, it, it wasn't with Lego. I hadn't really touched Lego for, for a long time. As I went on and learned my craft as a facilitator, getting these groups together, solving problems, I came across this thing, which we're talking about today called Lego Serious Play, and it's sort of taken over my life since. So that's me, a facilitator, run my own business here in Australia, and just enjoy getting people together and hearing stories and solving problems, I think is, is how you can sum up what I love doing. For people listening, it'd be helpful to explain what LSP or Lego Serious Play is. Lego Serious Play at its base is just a better way to have a conversation. Like that's really what it boils down to. We use some Lego and some fancy steps and processes. But in the end, it's just about having a conversation and coming to some sort of different outcome with it. That's at a very high level. And there's lots of layers to Lego Serious Play. So as you go deeper with it, it's about using the Lego to express yourself. It's about hearing from other people. It's about putting those ideas together and something special coming out. Essentially what it is, we do all these meetings, we do all these workshops in the corporate realm and in the classroom as well. And what Lego Serious Play does is it changes that dynamic. We're all very used to how to do meetings and very used to how to do, you know, classes and things like that. We've almost got a script that we all follow, both participant and the one leading it. And I guess Lego Serious Play really mixes that up. So it changes that dynamic. There was this great quote from the co-inventor of Lego Serious Play. He says, if you change the process, you change the outcome. And that's really what we're trying to do with Lego Serious Play. We're trying to, trying to throw a few different things in there that will change that process wherever it is, and then you'll get a different outcome. And and that's what Lego Series Play is about. To me, meetings have always felt quite dysfunctional as a method to hold a discussion, achieve alignment between stakeholders, or make an important decision. And when I learned about Lego Series Play and did it for myself, I thought this has real potential because meetings aren't really good for introverts. They're not good for people who need time to process information. 
and they potentially exclude people who could otherwise meaningfully contribute. I can't remember the phrase you use in your book. What was it? Democratizing the conversation? Yeah, it was democratizing conversation. And just the fact that we do this weird thing in meetings where there isn't actually a continuous chain of thought about a thing. It's dots all over the place. And when you sum up that experience, you realize why meetings are so dysfunctional, why they don't work for people and organizations. And that's what got me really interested in LSP. Can you talk a little bit more about how LSP works and how it can help people and organizations to explore ideas? Yeah, just on that point, Rich, you were saying about introverts and other type of people. It's interesting. I'm an introvert, even though I do a role, it's very extroverted. But it's the reason why I connected with this method over 10 years ago was because I saw what, just what you said, I saw what was wrong with meetings. It's like, it's the extrovert. It's the person who has the most power in the room. Like they tend to dominate and it is very disjointed. You get these people that are either introverted or maybe they're more kinesthetic or like to move a bit more, or they just have a different preference of interacting. And it's like we got stuck in this one process that just doesn't tap into everything you've got in the room. It's so surprising when you think about it, that there's all this talent, all these people, all these opinions, all these great insights. And the way we normally run classrooms or meetings, it just doesn't tap into it. So once I started to realize that's when, you know, I realized Lego Series Play was a thing. And what it often does is it allows a lot of those voices to come in. And so I think with Lego Series Play, one of the key things for me is about engagement. And so... It's not just, hey, look, it's Lego, it's fun, it's engaging, but it literally is everyone gets to have a way to express themselves. And so we hear from you, Rich, other Rich, we hear from Michael, like everyone gets a go and there's no right or wrong answer. It's about putting everything on the table. And then once you've got that, then you can combine it and you can connect these different ideas and say, I love that idea that Rich said. It's almost like we each have a piece of the puzzle, but no one has the whole picture. And I find Lego series play allows all those pieces to be put on the table, quite literally with Lego, and then you get the full picture. And then we all get like this shared understanding and we find a better way to a better solution. I think that's why I love it because it's very, it's very inclusive. People really feel that. They feel like they've been heard. They feel like they've contributed to the end thing. And even if it's just a small part, you know, it's like you had your say, whereas you think about a normal meeting, it's like. You come out and do you feel invested in the solution? Well, I didn't really, you know, I didn't really do anything in that. I didn't have my say. I don't, I don't feel like it's my solution. Whereas I think there are different ways and Lego series play is the different way to run a meeting. I think brings in a lot of that engagement and inclusivity and interestingly, diversity of ideas, which then leads on to, I think the second sort of pillar of Lego series play, which is creativity. So if you get a lot of ideas down and you're connecting a lot of ideas, like that's creativity. And so there's been this beautiful flow from, I feel heard, I feel like I'm part of the solution and I'm helping to build that. And then it's better because we're hearing from everyone and we're taking the best parts of everyone. I'm sure we'll get into it, but there's a lot of wonderful stuff that goes on underneath Lego Serious Plan. For listeners, could you talk us through how an LSP session works? Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of different layers to Lego Serious Play. So what I've been talking about so far is Almost like the, why do you want to do it? Why do we need to replace meetings and classrooms with something better? So there's that layer. And then there's what we're about to talk about now, which is the process mechanics, the steps layer. Um, and then there's another layer, which we might even get into, which is like deep down really why it works. And there's a lot of science underneath that. But let's stick out that layer, which is the sort of practical steps. Like, what do you do? 
when you go into a session where you're running Lego Serious Play, there's obviously a bunch of Lego and we can talk about what Lego you put there, but there's a bunch of Lego and there's a very simple process that you do to warm people up, to get them used to this new method. But then essentially the steps of Lego Serious Play, there's four very simple ones. You ask a question. So it's very much a question and answer dynamic. So you as facilitator, you come with questions and then the group have the answers. So it's not this you have the answer and you're trying to impart it, it's they have the answer and it's your role as a Lego series play facilitator to ask good questions that help get that out of people. So yeah. anyway, step one is you ask a question. Then step two is people build their answers to that in Lego. Now it's done initially individually. So you want to hear from individuals and their individual voice first. There's later on some group stuff, but essentially what you want to do is you want to get that individual voice. And at this point, this building of your answer to the question in Lego, you know, everyone starts going, oh, I'm not good at Lego or I'm not that creative and what do I build and all that sort of stuff. And we go through a set warm up where it's, it doesn't really matter. You can build anything. It's just as long as you bring meaning to it. So the bricks can be whatever you want them to be. You build your answer. It's like taking stuff from your mind. You put it on the table. You have a very short amount of time, which is generally about five minutes to do it. And then once you've done that step two, which is the building, then you are in small groups and you share that. And so what would happen, Rich, is you would have your model that you built, which is your answer to the question. You'd be on a table of maybe five or six other people, and then you'd spend a minute or two sharing the story of that model. So it's like you expressing yourself through the model. Like you've got the model, you're saying this part means this, this part means this, and this is my answer to that original question. And then you get your go, people ask questions, they get curious, what does this mean? Tell me more about this. And then you go around to the next person and the next person and the next person. And you, so you get this sort of well-rounded view of what the group thinks of this particular question that was posed. And then the last step, step four, is just about reflecting on that and then capturing it. So you can write some of these things down, you can take photos, and there's lots of fun stuff you can do with it. But essentially, that's the process. So just to go over it, it's you ask a question, people build their answer to it in Lego, they then share it in small groups, and then you capture some of those wonderful insights from that. Do you find people struggle with this? Do you find particular types or positions where they're like, I can't sit down and play with a Lego? You know, is, how do you deal with that? Yeah, I've seen everyone's reaction to it. <laughs> Some people are like, yes, you know, you love them. They love the Lego. They're all ready to go. Some people are just like, arms crossed. I don't want to do this. And then there's a whole bunch of people in the middle. And it's interesting. I've seen it so much over the years that the warm up that I do is very much tailored to get people comfortable enough with it to try it. And so it's things like, you know, what I go through at the start is like, where did this come from? Who uses it? Why? There's all these questions that people have in their mind about, you know, using the Lego in a work or a classroom situation. It's a very odd situation. But if you go through and you tick off all those questions, you make them comfortable with it, you do all the things like you scaffold them, you make sure that they can do a little warm-up activity that gets them comfortable with it. And then once you've done all of that, then I, look, honestly, I have found there's been like no one that hasn't engaged with it. So as long as you do that warm-up properly, then you get people to try it. And then once they try it, then they see it's not some team-building fluffy Lego thing. It's actually real work and I'm being heard. And I'm hearing other people. I've had so many people that you just wouldn't expect crossed arms, big burly, like car manufacturing guys. Like, what am I doing? You know, it's three, four hours of my time I could spend doing real work. I love them turning around and they all do because they just want to do more of it because it's like, it's like the way work should be, which is fun and engaging rather than the slog that a lot of people know it to be.
it's a good question, but there are ways. And I guess over the time I've refined that to the point where I just don't get anyone not engaging with it. And once you do that, particularly because it's not a competition in it, it's not competitive. It's about collaboration. So it's actually no wrong answer. It's literally a form of expression. So whatever you build, whatever you say it is, whatever story you share is right. And it's not even right or wrong. It's just, it is. Mm. And then it's about taking parts from everyone's. And so, yeah, there's things that come into it later on with group dynamics, but any decent facilitator can manage those. And in the end, it's, yeah, those people which haven't been a problem. He talked a bit more about what you were just saying there around, it's about hearing their voices. It's not about what's right or what's wrong or finding the correct solution. Can you explain on that? A way to think of it is in terms of creativity and design thinking, like you all know about divergence and convergence, going wide, lots of ideas, get it all down. And then at some point you do have to converge and get to a point as in whittle things down. And so the way I look at Lego series play is at the start, we are diverging. We're like, we want everyone's idea on the table. And so this is why we start individually. You express that in model form and you get it on the table. And the first part of Lego series play session is always diverging. You get all these things on the table. And then there are ways both within Lego series play, or even if you want to use other methods to converge on that and say, okay, how do we categorize those, prioritize those, which parts make the cut, which ones don't. And so people feel heard. They feel like, okay, I've expressed my view. And then part of it gets into the final solution. And it's not that we hear everyone and we include everyone and it's lowest common denominator solution. We hear everyone, but then we do shift halfway through workshops to that harder. We've got to make some choices around what's going to make the cut or what's going to be the final solution. And that's where the Lego comes into itself then, because what you've done, and this is another great feature of Lego series players. You're separating the idea from the person. So when you're having a normal meeting, what you're doing is, you know, Rich, you and I, we're chatting. I've got an idea. You've got an idea. It's like the idea and the person are intermingled. Whereas what you do with Lego series play is you're separating the idea in model form from the person who's expressing it. And so what you get when you get to this sort of convergence stage towards the end is you start to say, look, that idea, we need a bit of that, but that part we don't. And because it's literally a model that's separate from the person, it takes that heat out of it. I'm not saying, Rich, your idea is crap. What I'm saying is we're going to take your idea from the model. It's called externalization and it helps with that convergence and whittling things down to get to a sharper outcome, which is what it's all about. Like the whole point of this is still to get to a really great outcome. It's just the process we do makes people feel heard and you get to a better outcome. Really interesting hearing this last week was doing sketching workshops with a client. And again, it's all about making people feel comfortable about sharing their ideas and getting something down and discussing it. And then people, then it becomes about stealing ideas from each other and what works mm. and what doesn't. And I think this is fascinating that this is presumably, this is a tool that can be done for ideas rather than what's this site going to look like, or this screen going to work like. Mm. I love the idea of you're, you're building the metaphors of people's ideas and solutions. A lot of people, when they, they see the Lego, they think, oh, we're going to prototype something and we're going to like physically build it. And this is where the sort of the metaphorical versus literal nature comes in. Lego itself can be very literal, but Lego series play gets into a real sort of metaphorical space, which is basically the bricks can be whatever you want them to be. And it digs a bit deeper. It's not, what does this screen look like? What does this space look like? It's actually what's underlying all of that. That's a different element that a lot of other techniques get at. Well, I want to start using it. So we've talked about the first stage of the process, but it would be really good if we could explore the later stages, which is the convergence point. I know there are different approaches you can use, and it would be interesting to hear about them. 
Yeah, definitely. I think what we've found and some of the research has come out around this is to be more creative. It's not just the 1970s, 80s style brainstorming, like throw out your ideas. You know, we all know that doesn't really make people more creative. So what they found is that if you go from individual to group work, back to individual work to group work, like that allows you to be more creative. It's like it's almost you got to have your time to think, do your own thing, express it to a group, and then you do group work, and then come back and do individual work and go back to group work. That's showing the more creative flow in terms of group dynamics. And Lego Series Play is built on that. So you always start with the individual. You want their view first. But once they've expressed it in model form, there's a couple of different group techniques that you can go to. And so one of them is called a shared model, where basically what you do is you have all the individual models and you just pull parts off as a group, you decide, not the facilitator, but the group decides which parts of which model you want to form this what's called a shared model or a group model. A classic example of this is if you've got a team that to express a vision, like the future of the next two years for the team, they build their own individual model of what they want the team to be like in two years time. And then you go to this group model where they say, oh, look, I liked a bit of Richard's. I liked a bit of Michael's. Let's build it up. Maybe we didn't like that part. We didn't like that part, but we take the best parts and we put it into a group model that everyone can agree on. And it's almost like it's the group's view of say that vision. And that's just one example. You can use lots of different topics there. So that's one way is build up this group model together. Another way is, because Lego Series Play can be used in lots of different ways. So let's say, almost a more mundane way, let's use Lego Series Play for a stakeholder analysis. And so what you do is you get people to build the different stakeholders individually first. And so they build a whole bunch of stakeholders. And then you do what's called a landscape, which is where you put it on the table and you group some of these. And so, you know, this stakeholder is similar to this one, or this one's different to this one. And you end up with this whole landscape or table of stakeholders. And that's just, again, one example. There's a lot of different techniques that come out. Once you've got the idea in model form, you can do lots with it, whether that's converging into a group model, whether that's categorizing it, prioritizing it, voting on it. Like there's lots of different things you can do with these models after you've built them and expressed your view on them. I think what's really lovely is when you get to that moment when there's that realization within the group, they're coming to some sort of alignment around a particular idea, which is probably something they've never been able to achieve as a group. And then suddenly they have this shared purpose or shared agreement, and it is just amazing to see. And what what's so great about that is like, I've done it enough now to know that it, it's sort of like that, you know, that line with the it's a creativity where it's like a straight line and then it's this yeah. messy line and then out comes the straight line. And I think a lot of people, a lot of managers, a lot of teams, and even a lot of facilitators get scared of that messiness in the middle. Mm-hmm. And this is why I love Lego Series Play and why I use it is because I know it's a very reliable method. Like what you described, Rich, is what comes out of it. I've seen it so many times and I know it's very reliable that it will get to that point. And I just love watching the messiness in the middle where they're discussing what gets in, what doesn't get in. And, you know, they're probably wondering, is it going to work? And if there are observers, they're like, is it going to work? And I'm just sitting there going, I know it's going to work. It works every time. It's just, it's about how they come together. You know, sometimes as facilitators, there are certain people and you need to, you need to nudge them and use all your facilitation tricks. But overall, it's such a reliable way. I just love sitting back and watching it now as I'm facilitating because it's what you said, Rich. Like you just see those groups come together and get those benefits that you've seen time and time again. I have got so many questions that I want to ask and only a short time to speak to you. I think it would be great to talk about the science of LSP. 
what I've observed is occasionally people's unconscious mind slips out. I wrote a book a couple of years ago. It was the how-to book. And if I'm going to write a second book, I would write it on the science of Lego series play because there's so much going on underneath the hood. What I find fascinating just at a high level is no one needs to really know this. Like the people experiencing Lego series play, like the participants, they feel all this happening, but they don't need to know about flow and metaphors and hands and stories. There's so much stuff going on underneath that I love, but it just sort of combines to them experiencing it and, and getting that, that joy of it. So no one really needs to know all this. Some of the things that I love is you talked about metaphors before. Metaphor is really interesting as an underlying scientific foundation of this is because if you really think about anything new that we discover, we need to relate it to something old. That's the only thing that we know how to. And the classic example is a computer. Like, why do we send email? Like, it's just ones and zeros. We relate it to the letters of old. We have to relate something to something we already know. So anything new, we always relate it to something old. And, and it's essentially what metaphors are. It's saying, this is like this. And that helps us to understand both of those things a little bit better. So Lego series play is a metaphorical technique, and that's one of the scientific things that underpinned it. It's one of the few techniques that allows you to surface these metaphors and then, you know, play with them and transform your thinking around. So that's one. Another one is people get into flow. So you would have seen this, Rich, where people get in, like you can be spent doing three, four hours of Lego series play, and it goes by in a minute. And that's because they're getting out of their conscious, cognitive, prefrontal mind and they're getting into flow. And we've all experienced it. Sports people experience it. You know, you're reading a good book and time just flies. You're doing a hobby or whatever. So Lego series play is another thing where we get into flow and that changes the way we think. And that's what we're trying to do with Lego series play is we're trying to change the way we think. So there's flow, there's the use of hands, which is huge. And again, people accessing a different part of their brain by using their hands. And so Using your hands and part of it, which is that sketching you were talking about, people have used Play-Doh and other things, but Lego series plays another way to engage the hands. And it's, it's almost like it's this different search engine for the brain. It allows you to tap into your brain in a different way. It's not the verbal auditory that we're doing now and that we're used to. We call it hand thinking or hand knowledge, where you're using your hands to help access some of the stuff that's in your brain that perhaps doesn't come out when you're accessing it in other ways. So there's hands, there's this flow, there's metaphors, there's stories, which we tell a lot of, and everyone's good at telling stories. It's basically built into our DNA. This is how we transfer knowledge from generations. So we all know how to tell a story. Just in terms of talking about students and the education sector, there's things like constructivism and constructionism, which are these knowledge theories about how new knowledge is formed. A lot of people in education understand that. I like to talk about action learning, discovery learning. And Lego series play taps into all these scientific foundations and builds it together into what appears like you're playing with Lego and telling some stories. But really, there's just some amazing stuff going on under the hood. I think it would be really interesting for listeners to know how do you think LSP could be used to design better experiences for students? So the Lego series play method started with the Lego group as a corporate strategy tool. That's where it's floated around. So most of it's 20 years. I've noticed, particularly over the last five years, more and more people from the education sector taking it up, mostly in universities. So a lot of academics, and I could talk through about that, but even getting now to the point, I've got people coming from secondary schools here in Australia to come and use it with students as well. So I would say one of the growth areas of Lego series play, I think, everywhere is the corporate world, but I think education is really starting to embrace it. 
And it's interesting, in about five days, I'm flying over to New Zealand to teach a whole bunch of academics at the University of Auckland in their business school. And it's funny, I was there five years ago and I taught a whole bunch and they're getting me back to teach them a whole bunch more. Where I've seen it being used with academics is in a whole bunch of places within universities. So it can be used in the teaching environment. It can be slotted into various points within a course, whether it's at the start, whether it's a sort of reflection tool. Many years ago, I had a high school teacher from Perth in Australia who was an English lit teacher. And she would get people to read Shakespeare and then she'd use Lego Serious Play and say, what did you learn from this? Express your reflections using Lego Serious Play. And I was like, wow, what a way to use it. And that's a lot of the way people are using it in classrooms now. They're using it either at the start or they're using it as a reflection tool or as a way to, for people to really sort of embed and understand some of the other modalities or the other ways that, that people are taking in information. So there's definitely a lot in terms of classroom and student life. So I know academics are using it in the preparation of courses. So it's like within their own department, with their colleagues, when they're planning out courses, they're using Lego Series Play to really understand almost like a student journey within the university, but within their own departments and through different courses and things like that. It's being used in research as well, on the research side in academia to elicit customer focus group type thing to help people express themselves and they're getting data points from that to feed into research. That's just a handful of different ways that it's being used in education. I've got a practical question. You talked about how this technique opens up, you know, it allows people a voice who wouldn't normally get a voice in a meeting, who'd normally sit there or perhaps people who, who prefer to work independently before they're sharing their ideas. As it's a physical activity, are there also accessibility issues that become harder using this technique? Are there problems you've encountered that you've had to find ways around? I'm very wary, Rich, that my client work in Lego Series Play is a small bubble of corporate world. It's a particular type of person. You can assume a lot about social norms and their abilities and all sorts of stuff. But I've trained a lot of people that use it in a lot of different contexts. Sometimes it's about just adjusting the physical nature of the tool that you're using. So maybe it's more Duplo and people end up with bigger bricks that they can still use to express the same thing. There's a great story that I heard from the gentleman in Canada who uses this in a change management sort of environment. And he ran a session for 70 people. He had a variety of people and abilities within that. And he asked a question and he was walking past the table and there was a blind person who was using the Lego for Lego series play. And he said, that the person said, oh, look, if you see here on my model, and he was pointing to a part of his model that he had constructed, and he knew that the session was going well. I've even had people that have lost an arm. I've had people that have had no hands. You can get people along to help them, or they usually navigate the world in their way. And so it's just about always finding a way for them to express using the bricks. And so whether it's a physical tool, whether it's adjusting the process, I've never found it to be a problem. What are some of the challenges of translating the outputs of Lego Series Play into outcomes? It's a great question. So if we're just playing with Lego and just telling stories about the Lego that we've built and that's it, there's something missing from that. I'm not going to say you can't just do that because I'm a big believer in bringing up the ideas and letting the subconscious go with that. But most of my sessions, you do have to do something at the end of it to actually translate some of the stuff. So my approach is to think about Lego series players, this wonderful thing you do within the workshop, but at the end of it, you want something to happen. That's why we get together as a group. You want change to happen. You want something to be done. And so I spend usually a good half an hour chunk right at the end, taking what we've built, the stories, the insights, 
and then bringing them together to say, what the hell are we going to do about them? What does all this mean? What are we going to do once we walk out of that room and actually make happen? And this is the thing with any technique and even Lego serious play is once you walk out of that room, you've got a whole bunch of emails, you've got a whole bunch of deadlines, you've got a whole bunch of colleagues. And so what we do in the Lego serious play workshop is we help translate insights into some sort of action that people can do. But then once they get out, it's still about them actually doing it. I think it's probably one of the sad things about my job is I can't then go and sit next to them and say, come on, let's do this. So there definitely is a piece around end of workshop, translating it usually into actions. And it's usually not Lego stuff. It's usually like pen and paper and it could be action plans or Kanban boards. Like there's a whole bunch of different things you can do. But then there's also that piece about the support afterwards that you need from a manager, from the organization to actually help drive some of those insights and change that came from the session. Could you talk to uh, some of the common mistakes that people make when they're first using Lego Serious Play? I think the common mistake is even before people use it, where they look at it as perhaps as other Lego activities. Like there's a whole bunch of Lego activities that are perfectly fine. There's ones that teach communication skills. There's like lean Lego. There's all this stuff that uses Lego. And I think people come to Lego series play with that in mind. And it's a team building thing. It's fluffy. It's very literal. I want to prototype. Those are some of the common mistakes that people come to with Lego series play. Another one is I've got the answer and I want my team to get it or I want to transmit it. Lego series play, I call it a generative method. It's basically saying that the group generate the answer. You've got to have trust. You've got to hand over some power. You've got to believe that the team know what they're talking about and will come to a good solution. And so I think a lot of the mistakes in viewing it either as normal Lego or viewing it as a, more from an authoritative type of management style. And this is why Lego Series Play isn't for everyone yet. I think of it as a tech adoption curve. We're at the early adopter stage and I think we'll get to the majority and the laggards soon enough. But I think for me, I'm very much into finding the people that this is really good for at the moment. And it is usually people that are more about collaboration than control. They're more about hearing voices and empowering people rather than I'm the expert, I'm the leader, I'm the one that has the answer. It's actually very freeing both as a facilitator and as a manager to say, look, I don't have the answers. I trust that you will. I'm just going to be the guide. I think that's very empowering for both manager and facilitator to let go and trust that something's going to come from that if you guide that process correctly. Absolutely. Especially coming into an organization, there's a sense that you're the expert, you're coming in, you're going to solve our problems. And actually that's unsustainable. Even if you happen to have some great ideas, you're going to go and then that's it. You can't underestimate that they need to feel ownership of the thing. When they walk out of the room and you're not there, that's what's going to drive the change is they're feeling ownership of it. And so many times I've been watching a group do their thing. And I'm on the outside, okay, Michael, I'm the facilitator. I can't just blurt out what I can see. I can go, oh my God, it's right there. I've got to ask the questions. I've got to guide. I've got to let them get to it themselves. And sometimes they get to it and sometimes they get to something different that's more meaningful for them anyway. And it's actually good to track with the client beforehand and say, look, I'm not the expert on your thing. I'm running a process. I'm guiding. I will help, but I'm not going to give you the answer because that's just not the way this works. It won't be impactful. It won't be empowering. They won't feel ownership as long as I'm giving them the answer. So you got to get it out from within them. I think that's probably it. 
the answer lies in the people in the room, not the facilitator, not their managers or leaders, because people are the experts in their own experience. And the same is true for students and academics. And if you can get them working with each other, then you might have something special. And Rich, that's why I like when I do Lego series play, I really love the sessions where I get people from different areas in. So I love team stuff where it's the one team, but I love when it's this sort of cross-functional, lots of different people, lots of different perspectives. Cause it's all, it actually goes something I was going to mention before, like Lego series plays like this new base language for people. And so it's like, we all start from zero with it. So it doesn't matter if you're the marketing person if you're the educator or whatever, like you're learning this Lego serious play thing all together in this new language, when you can get those different perspectives in and get out of your echo chamber, I think that's when you can really get some really good results is when you just get more perspectives. And so I often ask teams, I say, bring in someone from the outside, bring a client in, bring a, someone else in the organization. And I think those different voices, they just add so much to the mix. It's such a powerful method, Michael, when you speak about it, you speak with this passion. So I guess my question to you is what's the best way to get started with LSP? The best way to do Lego serious play is just to do it. Is just to experience it. You've got to actually physically experience it. I think it's probably the best way. If you can find a local meetup or someone that's doing it locally, but if you can just Physically experience it, I think, is a good first step. Some of the other things you can do is if you want to Google the open source guide, the Lego group put out about 13 years ago. I don't think it's the best document, but I think it gives you a flavor what you can do to get started. Shameless plug for my book that I don't even make any money out of. You can download it for free from my website. The reason why I say all this is because the way this was set up was you had to go to an expensive course to learn this stuff. And I think in the end, I think that that is a gate that I wanted more open. And that's why I wrote that book. It basically says, here's how to do it step by step. And that's really all you need. Like you can just literally for free, download it from, from my website, go away and have a go with say some trusted colleagues or a friend or family. And that can give you that first taste of it. I think if you want to make it say like Rich has, is more a part of your toolkit and you want to use it with clients that are paying you, it's probably worth finding someone local to actually train you up properly. But to be honest, there's so many more steps before that. Test it out with a meetup, download a book and have a go at it. And then if you see something's there, then I think go further with it. And the reason I'm passionate about this is because my vision is for everyone to be using Lego Serious Play. And I'm so confident in that vision because of what the method is and what I've seen it do. And so I'm very much into just offering this. I just put it out and say, look, this is what it is. Here's the book, go to a meetup, train with someone else. It doesn't really matter. The people that understand this and see the value will take it up. And eventually, like I said, the laggards will come along. Like if you're a laggard, that's fine. In 10, 15 years, you'll be doing Lego serious play. Other people will be doing it sooner, but that's fine. So that's why I have a passion because I have a real belief that I can see this in the hands of everyone around the world doing it. And it's just time. And I got time. I'm slowly working away, training people, encouraging people, doing podcasts, talking about it. It'll happen. But whether you want to start doing it now or later, totally up to you. Are there any other courses or books you'd recommend? The only other book I'd recommend, there's, there's a guy from the UK called Sean Blair. I think his book's called Serious Work. So have a look at his book as well. The reason I wrote my book is because I didn't feel like there was any book out there that that really gave you the step-by-step how-to. But Sean's is probably the other one that I would recommend. So Sean Blair, serious work. In the end, 
once you've had a look at the books, once you feel something's there, maybe you've experienced it. If you do want to train, I would find someone locally to train you. There's plenty of people in the UK. There's plenty of people in the US and Australia. There's just more and more people popping up. Part of what I'm doing is I'm helping people locally to set up so that they can train people because you want to have someone that you can just go to and they have the experience and then they know how to train you and you get all those nuances and you get all that that understanding and it speeds you along and then you can get the results that you know Rich and other people have been getting. The final question, and it's a really interesting one, because I know you can go down a rabbit hole. Is there any special kit for Lego Serious Play? Yeah, a lot of people ask, what Lego do you use? And look, the short answer is you can use whatever Lego you want. Like it's not, there's no special Lego, although there are official Lego Serious Play kits, which we can talk about. But I say any Lego because I just don't want Lego to be a barrier to people. Like don't feel like, oh, I know a bit about Lego Serious Play. Maybe I know how to do these steps but I don't have the right kits and they're out of stock or something. And, you know, six months later, you've talked yourself out of it. Just use the Lego you've got. It's fine. The only thing I'd avoid is probably too themed a Lego. So if you've got a lot of Harry Potter, Star Wars stuff in there, maybe take that out. The only reason I say that is because the stories that people will tell can be influenced by the Lego you put in there. So if you're putting all these Darth Vaders in, you you might might get some dark (laughs) stories. I like the official Lego Serious Play kits. There's a few different ones of those. I like those because they're specially built for metaphor and you know, generic enough to be not too themed. They can get a bit expensive, but just any Lego. And then try it out. And once you, you think there's something there and you want to know more and you want to get better at it, then maybe look to the official kits as well. So I love that that's a vote for old school Lego. You can do what you want with it. Other than, here's a Death Star. <laughs> we always ask our guests one final question. What would your future self tell your past self about LSP? So what would I tell my past self? When I started, there was an air of exclusivity to Lego Serious Play. Even I felt that. It was like closed doors. Can I peek in? No, you can't. And I think there were a few people that were the gatekeepers of Lego Serious Play. What I tell my past self is not care about those people and to go for it. I think it's the philosophy of Lego Serious Play anyway. It's just, it's about going for it. It's about expressing yourself. It's about trusting and being open. And that's what I'd say is don't worry about what other people are saying, are thinking, are doing. Chart your own path. Just give it a go and to think differently. It opens up a whole nother world of interactions and relationships and ways of working and ways of learning. There's always going to be people saying, don't do it, or that's weird. Just know there are people out there that understand this at a really deep level. And this is a really powerful thing. And you might be on the cutting edge, but it's something that is very rewarding personally. And I think rewarding in an interpersonal way as well. I want to give a special thank you to Michael. It has been so interesting. Thank you for spending time with us today. And thank you to our subscribers for listening. That brings us to the end of this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. We have some incredible guests lined up who will continue to inspire you. If you have any suggestions, topics you'd like us to cover, or guests you'd love to hear from, then please reach out to us. We value your feedback and we want to create content for your love. Thank you all for listening. We appreciate your support and look forward to continuing this journey together.